Welcome to Love and Live Abundantly. I'm Alana. I'm Bill. Do you want to love more effectively? Do you want to live fully and love more courageously? We talk about what all that means. And how you can achieve it. Join Join us. us. Hello, everybody. Uh, This is Dr. Mock, the Bill Mock. Uh, back with you again, uh, and with me is my friend and colleague, Alana Polka. There you go. Uh, and w- w- last time we were talking about things like um, honoring our feelings and 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 uh, some of, some of the kind of societal pressures against not expressing and being open and honest with your feelings, and how it is that. Uh, and the damage that denying and repressing them can do. Uh, and we have some tips about how to deal with that and how uh, to become more expressive and more honest with it. And I, th- I think that's probably the direction we'll end up going in today. Um, I, 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 last time, Alana did a lot of um, self-disclosure and it was, uh, boy, was it right on the mark. And so I'm going to take a chance and do that too. Um, there's a thing that people don't know about me much, um, unless you've known me for a long, long time. And that is that in my youth, I, I was known to have something of an anger issue, uh, anger issue. Yeah. Uh, th- uh that's a, a, a pleasant, uh, sort of way of saying that I had explosive bouts of anger in which uh, somebody was going to get hurt um, too often, most often me, uh, because I wasn't very skilled in my expressions of explosive anger. Uh, but somebody got hurt always, and it wasn't always just me. Um, and I and I, and I want to share this with you because this part of the what happened to me in my in my youth in my young adulthood is that I I've found this guy um, in Maryland where I lived at the time who had a title psychologist and he sat me down and he said, you know, um, I think I know why you do what you do. And I think I know what we can do about stopping it. Wow. It took a crisis of having one of those explosive sessions where somebody got hurt that made me seek out somebody and take a chance on talking about being out of control with my anger. And he laid it out for me because he'd asked me a whole bunch of questions and he did that whole therapy thing. And he said, here's what happens to you. Boy, did he get me. He said, what happens is For a very long time, you've convinced yourself that anger is a terrible, devastating, awful, destructive thing. And that maybe comes from some bad things that happened to you when you were younger. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. The fact is you live with a belief deep in your heart that anger is not to be tolerated, that it's scary, and that you should never own it. And so what ends up happening is that People do bad things to you and about which perhaps you might choose to be angry. Uh, and 
people actually do stupid things and you might choose to be angry. You might even do stupid things yourself and want to be angry about that, but you're not allowed to, don't you know? And so you keep repressing it and repressing it and repressing it until one day your little pressure cooker gets full up and some poor son of a gun comes along and says something thoughtless or stupid or mean-spirited or ignorant. And all of it comes boiling out and it explodes. And when that happens, and that explosive anger happens and you feel foolish and stupid and somebody gets hurt, you or somebody else or both of you, then that just confirms your belief, the one that got you in trouble in the first place, your belief that anger is a terrible thing. He said, you don't have a problem with anger. You have a problem with not being able to express anger wholesomely and happily and healthily. So he said, now that we know what's going on, he went into his coaching mode and said, come on, uh, you're going to go into this group where a bunch of people have this anger thing going on with them, and we're all going to figure out how to do anger more productively and how to do it more immediately and how to do it in the moment when it's most effective and how anger can become not so much a destructive force, but a useful tool. Yeah. Uh, and I'm reasonably certain that learning how to do that probably saved my life. Yeah. I'm sure. And relationships. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that, that people who knew me back in those days, um, knew me as one of two creatures. You know, Mr. Mild-mannered, nothing phased him, I'm okay. Or the crazy, I had a, I had a very, a, a gross nickname, but it was a crazy, you know what. And I was one of those two things. Uh, and I, and I hope that I'm not that one of those two things now. Knock wood, knock wood. I did find out that that doing anger in a productive sort of way uh, was really quite possible and that nobody needed to get hurt. In fact, folks could get well if I used it appropriately. Yeah, that healthy anger. I, I like when you, you use that word, healthy anger, too, because, yeah, I mean, to I feel like to say that we're never going to get angry is a ridiculous notion. However, to be able to express that anger in a healthier way, you can still get your point across, right? Mm. And and so will you will you tell us how you how you go about that? No, it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We won't tell anybody. <laughs> well, this was before the big movement here in this country around assertiveness training. And what, as I'm listening to people talking about assertiveness training, uh, I was reminded that it was the stuff that I was learning about. Uh, you know, I, I had just started my studies in psychology. And so this was, this was also, uh, this really personalized a lot of the learning, but I, I found that, um, 
that there were a couple of tips that I wasn't doing. It used to be when I when I would do anger, I would wait to do it. I would postpone it. I would do it later. I say, well, it's, it's not convenient to do it right now. I'll catch up on it later, and then I would never do that. And so that would just add one more piece to the pressure cooker. Um, well, the first thing I learned was just say, "Boy, I'm doing angry. I'm just I'm right now. I'm feeling really angry, uh, and this is what it's about." And I wonder if there's some way we can deal with that, right? And so it's a complaint instead of a criticism. One of the things I would do is instead of me saying, I'm angry about what you just did, uh, I would say about, I'm, I'm angry at, at the way you always do that, uh, or I'm angry at who you are, you know, do those ad hominem attacks. Uh, and so the only way we could cure my anger would be for you to die or to go away or to change fundamentally or whatever. Whereas really, I was just angry about something that just happened. Why don't I just say that out loud? And then at least if you say, well, I don't know how we can change that. At least I can make a decision about whether I want to let it go. Okay? Also, just being able to say that word. Also, uh, a thing that that. Uh, he suggested that I do and that um, I really have practiced all my life and that is doing faux anger. Um, people don't remember this, but the Today Show, the Tonight Show started out with uh, uh, Steve Allen and he did he, he did this skit that he would always do and that is he'd take a newspaper and he'd read the classified ads in a very angry way and it, he would crack himself up. And I was sitting there thinking, he really looks and sounds angry, but he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. Because he'd say something like, uh, wanted 57 Buick. And it was, and I thought, well, okay, let's do that. And and we would, I would sit down with uh, other guys and we would sit around and we would, we would take the most innocuous things and treat them in an angry fashion, uh, like reading a menu or something. Uh, and and just pounding our fists on the table. And what that helped us to do was to be less afraid of, of expressions of anger. Uh, so so going someplace where it was safe to do it, practicing it a little bit, uh, doing it when I chose to do it, not when it decided it was going to explode, uh, being immediate and being relevant, right? Because uh, what would end up happening is if you if you jam a bunch of stuff into the pressure cooker, then when I want to yell at you about something that you did or something that you are, then all kinds of other things that come out, like what happened last Tuesday, and and oh by the way, uh, and and all of a sudden you're thinking, well, why why didn't we deal with those then? Well, we didn't deal with those then because I'm not very good at it, and because they're scary, and I'm afraid of the blow up. Uh, and I need a lot of skills practice to prove to me that it doesn't always have to be dangerous or damaging. That was a whole lot of answer to a real simple question. I'm sorry about that. No, I don't think that it's a simple question, though. I don't. I think that in a world where we're not taught that, that there's even a healthy anger or how to do things or how to process the anger differently, 
is not necessarily a two word answer, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I feel, I mean, I've known you for 15 years, something like yeah. that. Or longer, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, a, a long time. And I don't know that I've ever seen you angry. Yes, you have. Uh-oh. <laughs> but but it wasn't in a rage. No, no. You saw me angry, not rageful. Yeah. And that was the other thing that I had to do. And in fact, I do a workshop on on appropriate anger and inappropriate anger. But there's lots of things that we call anger that aren't. And you you point one out. One of them is being rageful. What what Anger, in my view, is something is one of the tools God gave me to project myself in a healthy way into the world. But rage is something that is spewing and is acidic and is toxic and is hot and is is undirected and rarely solves anything. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that rage ever solves anything. I mean, I, I just think about you know, conversations that I've had with my father and how he could go into that rage, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like, well, if you could have communicated that a little bit differently, you know, <laughs> perhaps my response would have been different too, you know, but when somebody blows up at you, you become defensive. You know, and you, you, like you said before, when you express your, yourself, then you get to make a choice, right? Either if it's That's something right. can change or cannot change. And if it cannot be changed, then you get to choose on whether you deal, you, you stay in contact with that person or not. Right. If, if, if that's who and what they are, you're not going to change anybody. Right. I know okay. I'm not going to change anybody. The only person I can change is myself. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I choose out of the rage. <laughs> There's another kind of anger that um, is real current in my life and has been ever since uh, my dad, my stepdad found AA and, uh, and that is resentment. And uh, there's a big thing in self-help programs where they, they tell folks, look, you know, you got to deal with those resentments. That old baggage of anger that you're carrying around is just going to get you drunk or, or sick or high again. And uh, resentments are just stale anger. Yep. I was angry with you uh, five years ago, and I still am. And uh, I don't bother to tell you about it. And I love, I love that thing that I sometimes hear is that I shouldn't have to tell you. <laughs> you should know me well enough to know. Um, but I didn't know you were angry. Why didn't I know you were angry? Because you repressed it and because you held on to it. And now I'm hearing about it again and again and again. You and know, you lay awake at night thinking about this terrible thing that this other person did to you and you never give yourself the chance to let it go. Well, and so, I think the resentment can go into the rage. Can, yes, it can. Right. If it's unresolved, resentment can go into the rage. Yeah. If you fill yourself up with enough resentments, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Who needs that? And then there's this thing, there's this thing that they do in, in self-help programs, and that is to make amends. And 
Um, in part, one of the, the things about making amends is going back to people that you've harmed or hurt or wanted to hurt in the past. But but I believe that making amends is not for, for the benefit of the other person. It's 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 the benefit of you being able to say, look, I, I get what I did. I harmed you. And in doing that, I was unfaithful to myself. I was uh, I, I was not a good person. I was uh, I was a person that I don't like, that I hated, that that I now have come to to not want to be anymore. That that that's what amends really does. Other people don't have to accept your amends. Uh, you just have to be able to say it to them that I understand what it did. I understand where it happened, and I'm I'm here to own it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I remember there, there was this woman and we had a conversation and things kind of went a little differently than I had intended. And I had said something and she, she took offense to it and I never meant to offend her. And I mean, I honor the woman and, you know, I think it was like a day later, I had gone back to her and I said, you know what? I take full responsibility. I take full responsibility for the way that that conversation um, turned out. And, and I know that it wasn't necessarily my full responsibility because she's she's responsible for her own actions. Mm -hmm. But I I felt like, you know, being the leader in that sense, like I could have taken the conversation many different ways. And I allowed things to kind of get to me. And so it came out in a way that I would have been upset too. Had I been on the receiving end of that. So it was just easier for me to say, I take full responsibility um, for, for that conversation. And, you know, I'm choosing out of the group. I think yeah, it's, it's, it's that ownership piece, isn't it? Yes. That I'm, I'm, I'll own that. Uh, and, and one of the things that always got me in trouble was not wanting to own it. And so if I didn't own it, then it must've been, you did it to me. Yeah. I, there, there's some, that's true in all kinds of feelings, but you don't make me angry. You know, the truth of the matter is that unless I own it, if I, if I own it, then I, then I have to say I chose whether it was conscious or not. I chose to do a whole lot of anger right there. You can't make me do anything. I, let me give you the perfect example. And I use this in my workshops. Um, the truth is, is that uh, over the years I've, uh, the truth is that as a macho kind of guy, if you walked up to me uh, and you punched me in the lip, um, there would be uh, strenuous activity, let's say. Let's say that I might punch you back. Uh, but I remember when my when I had my little daughter, just Heather, God love her, she's a gorgeous little kid. And and I, I, I used to love to hold her in my arms and and do that little thing on her stomach and tickle her and 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 scratch her with my beard and all, all that. And she would giggle and laugh and thrash around. 
And one time when she was doing that, she hit me with a left cross that was just beautiful. I actually saw stars. Um, uh, and not the first time in my life, but I actually saw stars. Now, the fact is, that that was that was a great lesson. It taught me that I have choices <laughs> about anger. So if you hit me, my choice is to hit, hit you back. Maybe. But she hit me. My choice was to laugh and congratulate her on such a great left cross. <laughs> right. And that's a life lesson that that really does drive it home that you didn't when you hit me, you didn't make me angry. When she hit me, she didn't make me angry. That the circumstance and my perception of it and where I was going to go with it is where the anger came from. I own it. Yeah. I do anger. The reality therapists say that. They they say, I didn't get angry because it's not like a bag of stuff that you bring home. Uh, I do anger. And it sounds a little artificial, but that's the way they do all their feelings. They talk about all their feelings. I do sadness. I do depression. I do. And they say, and I think it's true, that if you get to the point where you actually believe that, then you can choose to do something else. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's it's victim responsible. You know, either you play a victim or you, you're responsible for your actions. You know, and that really, that really makes the difference. You know, I know that with my um, with my father, like he never, he would never, um, you know, excuse excuse Chesney over there. Hold on, let me just close the door. Right. Here. Okay. <laughs> um, Folks, you know, just just to let you know what's going on, uh, Alana and I both have dogs who are, who are <laughs> acting just a little foolish right now. Yeah. Um, but I think they're so wanting it. Out, they'll, they they'll want our attention. Yeah, they want our attention because they know we're not you know, playing with them. Um, yeah. You know, because my my father went into rage quite often, um, and he never took responsibility for his actions. Never, and. I never understood it. However, then I learned about victim and responsible, right? I, I learned that you can either choose either way. And, you know, I I choose to be more responsible for my life. That's the only thing that I, I can, you know, be responsible for. But I think that it also... An example. Okay. I was talking to a friend of mine. He hasn't talked to his daughter probably in 20, maybe even 25 years since she was a little girl. And I said to him, you know, they reconnected and they met. And I said to him, please tell her that it was, it was not her fault that you weren't around and that she's worthy of love and all the good things because you weren't around. She made up a bunch of bunch of shit excuse me, I think that we can curse here or they'll bleep us out. Um, because she made up a bunch of stuff about herself that isn't true because you were off doing your own thing, whether, you know, whatever that was. Um, but let her know, even at 30, right, that 
it, that she is worthy and it had nothing to do with her that you weren't around. And, you know, what a difference that would make for their relationship. Right. That, that it really makes the point that that there's this kind of foolish belief nowadays that that um, people aren't impacted by uh, not having a second parent in the in the home. Uh, sometimes as badly and sometimes even worse than having uh, an angry out of control or stupid or foolish or or dehumanizing or whatever a, a mean spirited parent that having one not there allows you uh, if you choose to be a victim about it to come up with all kinds of really absurd reasons why you're not worthwhile yeah yeah well i see that so often and oh. then, and then I, I hear parents come in and, and sit down in front of me and say, oh, you know, we're going to get a divorce and we're just going to split and and the kids will be all right. Well, that's hogwash. Of course, that, that's BS. Yeah. Uh, it, it, if you want to rationalize uh, abandoning your kid, don't come into my office to do that. Um, yeah, boy, am I going to get some feedback on that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, as the adult in this situation, you know, I feel like suck it up for your kids. Yes. You know, like whatever that was, even if you weren't in, in love with my mom, you know, that's okay. That's okay. But you didn't not love me. Right. Or you didn't. And, and I wasn't unlovable. Yes. And I wasn't at fault. Yes. Yeah. And and it and so what is it? What is it in our brain that makes us go negative? What is that? Do you know? Well, I'm I'm trying to explain, uh, and I don't have outside information that helps me to to explain why this negative thing is happening to me. And since I'm trying to figure out why this negative thing is happening to me, then I go through a whole list of probabilities. And the problem is that I'm, I'm really quite human and there's a piece of me always that's not perfect. And so I'll latch onto that and it, it it is an explanation. Maybe not the best explanation, but it is an explanation. And the problem with that is if I say, you know, this bad thing happens because I'm a bad person in this way, then every time I'm a bad person in that way, because God knows that happens to us all, that's just going to be confirmation and say, see, told you. Yeah. I'm not a good person. And that just proves it. Yeah. And that just becomes self-reinforcing. Yeah. Wow. I Whoa. wish we could, Whoa. you know, Whoa. like switch the the that negative into positive. However, though, I do feel that now as an adult, I have done that where like I could be in the midst, right when I was in that job, I was like, what am I doing here? What am I doing? What am I doing here? And that little voice was like, Alana, you're here for a reason. Alana, you're here for a reason, right? And 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 so I would take every instance and, you know, I every call that we had, I started, you know, doing voice to text emails and, you know, keeping... Uh, you know, notes on, you know, what we, what I experienced. 
And, you know, now I say I get to be their voice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I feel like I've rewired my brain to take situations and go more positively. Right. But I had to work at that. Mm -hmm. I, I worked at that because otherwise my brain just would default to the negative part of it. But through the personal development work that I've done myself, you know, taking responsibility for my, the way that I feel and the, my circumstances, right. Yeah. Um, really. Yeah, well, we're, we're not, we're not really trained to, to lean towards positively reframing things in our lives. We, we, yeah. we, when something bad happens, we we're trained to look to figure out who's at fault, who broke it. And if you, if there's nobody else around, eh, you're looking in a mirror. Yeah, who's the common denominator? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and can I tell you a story? I, I I am so blessed. I have worked with some of the most wonderful people in the world, and maybe I've told you this story before. But uh, my friend Renee uh, was my former partner, and she's maybe the best therapist I've ever worked with. She is so wonderful. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to send her a copy of this so that she hears me say it, <laughs> but I was watching her one time when she was, when she was, um, working with a couple and we used to, we used to observe each other and give feedback to each other about our work. And this couple came in and it was clear that they were feeling really hopeless and helpless and ignorant and powerless, uh, around an, an issue they had with their kid. Uh, who was really acting, really acting out in a very dangerous and uh, awful way. And here are these folks who are really depressed and really anxious and really sad, frightened to death. And she's sitting there and, and I'm watching and she said, so what have you tried to do? And they told her something. And then she said, and what else have you tried to do? And they told her something. And she said, that didn't work either. And what else have you tried to do? And that didn't work either, huh? Yeah, okay. And and what what else? And she kept that up. And I'm I'm standing behind the one-way mirror thinking, oh my God, if they're not already depressed, mm. with her doing this litany of these terrible ways that they've tried and failed, they're, they're going to become depressed. And then at one point she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You told me you tried this and it didn't work. You tried this and it didn't work. And you tried that and it didn't work. And it tried that and you didn't work. And out of out of loving, caring, concern, you tried this and it didn't work. And it tried that and it didn't work. And now you're coming in here and sitting down in front of a stranger and trying this, trying this thing again. Wow, what perseverance, what love. What strength of character that you should try and try and try again. Your kid's really lucky to have parents who care this much. Wow. So let's just try another way. Uh, and and I watched the, that couple. And what she had done was had taken their real and genuine efforts to make a difference and point them out that they were real and genuine efforts. They just didn't work. Yeah. And it wasn't them. Yeah. It just didn't work. 
So let's try something else. Yeah, I, I thought that was miraculous. I thought I have just seen genius at work. It was so cool. Yeah, well, and to because they have tried so much and done everything, you know, that they thought possible, you know, you you know that they care, you know that they love their their kid. It's just maybe, you know, and, and that's one of the biggest things. And I think that's why groups work, you know, like group therapies work so well is mm -hmm. because you get to hear other people's, not only do they validate how you feel, but then you get different ideas from people, right? Uh, There's more than one solution. There's more than three solutions, right? You could have a room of 50 people and they can give you 50 different solutions for the same problem from their own perspective. So maybe you could find one that you hadn't thought of before and haven't tried and failed at before. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem that, that, that you know, I, it must be me that's inadequate. Yeah. If the several different things that I've tried to do, no matter, you know, and the thing is that very often the things that they try to do are the things that would normally work in a sane and uh, balanced world. But they tried, they try. And it, the cool thing uh, is that, um, that I, uh, I adopted what Renee used to do. And, and the other thing that I say uh, is, look, I understand that, one of the most natural, unnatural acts that you could engage in would be to take your failures and take your your sense of desperation and trot it in here in front of a, a stranger. What a courageous act that is. Mm -hmm. and, and it shows how willing you are to make change in your life that really works. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't make you bad parents. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. It, well, it doesn't make you bad parents. It makes you parents who uh, whose best impulses parents are not equipped to deal with an insane moment. Yeah. So let's let's take uh, an approach that's designed to deal with insane moments. And sometimes, strangely, the approach that we that we recommend to them feels insane to them. Well, can't do that. Why well, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. Well, when all else fails. Yeah. Maybe the thing that doesn't feel right is the thing that's going to work. Yeah. 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 I like your notion about um about having alternatives and other ways that you might try. And and it takes us back to that idea of clans, doesn't it? Yeah. Or tribes. Yeah. The more people you have around you, the more of those kinds of notions that you could be exposed to about other ways to be or to act yeah yeah well yeah. let's let's chat about that more on our our next episode oh oh wow it's time huh it is it is time i Go really quickly uh you know i was i must say something uh i really hope that people listen to our conversations and that somehow they're useful to them. Um, uh, for all it's worth, I must tell you that whether people are listening or not, these are really uh, treasured moments for me. And I want to thank you. So I'll see you next time. All righty. Sounds good. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate right. you.
Thanks for joining us. Join us on Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Enjoyed this podcast? Follow us on social media, Truth Be Told, One World.